Well, welcome to week three of our series, Alive. The response from all of you who joined us last week was just over the top. Whether you joined us in person for communion, a time of prayer, and just sitting quietly in this room that we will all soon be back together in, or as one of our students, many who sat and connected via Google Hangout to discuss the implications of the message last week in your life, all of these things remind me that how in this time of great challenge, I am so glad to be part of this church, this family. Thank you for all that you're doing to stay connected and to encourage each other in this amazing season that we're in. Well, if you haven't done so already, I'd like for you to go to memphiscc.info, download the outline, go ahead and grab your journal and an ink pen, and then open your Bible to Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, as we consider what it is to be alive after, after the rescue. Now, what is your rescue story? Maybe it was as simple as being stranded on the side of the road, which at the moment was just a hopeless feeling. I know mom and dad were on their way back from Florida two weeks ago when their 15,000-pound RV quit right on the exit ramp. A little pickup truck came along. My mother describes it as something like a little S10 or Colorado, came along, pulled out a tow rope, and towed that huge RV the rest of the way up the ramp and rescued them from sitting on a Sunday afternoon on that ramp. Perhaps it was more serious for you. 16 years ago, in one of the darkest times of my life, Sarah, my wife, came to my rescue when she said yes to my proposal to marry me. What about your spiritual rescue story? You know, why don't you pause this service for just a minute and talk to those around you and share a few details about the times in your life that you were rescued, and then I want you to focus in on your spiritual rescue story. Go ahead and share that for a moment. And then let's come back together. Let's say, let's say you and a friend were trapped in a flooding cave. You're sitting on a ledge and the water is rapidly rising higher and higher. It's now swirling at your knees and you're only four feet from the ceiling. You're hopelessly trapped. Your friend, an excellent swimmer, says this water has to be coming from someplace. Wait here, I'll be back. He does the unthinkable. He takes a deep breath. He dives deep under the water. He's gone for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes go by. After ten minutes, he bursts up out of the water. Now, what do you know immediately? You know that there is hope he couldn't have held his breath that long. He had to find air in another chamber somewhere. Now, if your friend says, look, there is a tunnel several feet down, and all we have to do is dive down to that tunnel, go a small distance, and there is a cavern on the other side. And inside that cavern, I looked up and I saw the light. It's possible that we can exit through that opening in the top of that cavern. If he were to say, follow me, would you believe him? 
I would. He's proven it by coming back. Would you follow him? I certainly would. It's the only hope of rescue that you have available. The water continues to rise. Jesus disappeared into the cavern of death. Three days later, he came back alive. The moment that he appeared alive, he proved that there is life beyond the grave. Now, when he says, as he did in John eleven fifteen, 15, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe him? I do. When he says, follow me, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Will you follow him? I will because his resurrection demonstrates that he is the only hope. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, it was in the darkness of night that God led the Israelite people, his chosen nation, on his first rescue of them from the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the night the death angel came and took the life of all the firstborn of men and animals found in the homes, found in the homes of those whose doorposts were not covered by the blood of a lamb. A blemish-free lamb. The feast of the unleavened bread, the Passover, was celebrated every year after by the Jews to remember the the middle-of-the-night rescue that God made of his people, leading them out of the bondage of slavery. Well, this is where Matthew picks up in our account today. Just days before Jesus is to become the blemish-free lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world and rescue you and me, all of us, from the bondage of sin. Look with me as Matthew writes in verse 17. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Here's the first thing that we note from this passage. Those who are alive in Christ celebrate the reality of their rescue. You and I who are alive in Christ, we celebrate the reality of our rescue. Friends, we never forget. How are you celebrating right now in these times we find ourselves in? How are you celebrating that Jesus Christ has rescued you from the bondage of all that Satan would try to do to us in this life? Now, obviously, if you're watching, you are doing what many are doing, and that is gathering once again this week around your TV to worship, to thank him, to celebrate him. Individuals and families have put together juice and bread to remember Christ's sacrifice through taking of communion together. We give of our tithes and offerings, even when the future is uncertain. I would suggest to you, especially when the future is uncertain, because we know that he has promised to provide. How? 
How are you celebrating your rescue today? Here's the second truth that Matthew makes obvious for us about every one of our rescues, and it's in verse 18 and 19. Jesus is in complete command of the situation we find ourselves in. Now, this is significant, and I hope, I hope that you'll underline this, that you'll circle this, and that you'll come back later and spend more time than we can right now on this truth that Jesus is in complete command of the situation we find ourselves in right now. Now, if you were with us last week, or all you have to do is look just a couple passages, a couple verses back in your Bible there to verse 15. We noted last week in verse 15 that Judas is the one who got up and he went to the chief priests and he sold himself out for 20 silver coins to betray Jesus. Now, in verse 18, Jesus is directing his disciples. He says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, the other gospels indicate that it wasn't the entire group of disciples that went. And I submit to you that Judas was certainly not one of those that Jesus directed. Why? Because Jesus is very much in control of when and how he would be handed over. Yes, Judas sold himself out. Yes, from that point forward, Scripture says Judas was looking for the opportunity to hand Jesus over. And Jesus decided it wasn't going to be on the day of the Passover. He was going to celebrate the meal with his disciples. And so he sent some ahead. They didn't even know where they were going. And later that evening, Jesus brought the rest of them with him, Judas included, and they gathered around that table. There was no way that Judas could make his move yet. That's significant for us. Because still today, nothing takes Jesus by surprise. David wrote this about God in Psalm 139. He said, where can I go and you're not there, God? If I go to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be night to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. When you and I were dead in sin, when we were in bondage, Nothing about your life or my situation came as a surprise to God. He knew exactly the time and place you would open up your life to his rescue plan. He knew the day that you would be diagnosed. He knew the moment that you would discover that your life had been turned upside down by news like your, your baby girl was now expecting a baby of her own. The moment that you would get caught 
doing that secret thing that you have done over and over again. He knew the moment that it would be discovered and brought into the light. He knew the day the coronavirus would be identified and would enter into our world, maybe even your household. Nothing takes him by surprise. And that means that nothing will stand in his way. Nothing will stand in his way when it is your moment to surrender to his rescue plan. Romans 5, 6 says, at just the right time, at just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. (laughs) Surely not I. Here's the third truth. None of us set out to turn our back on God and place ourselves in need of rescue. Think about that. None of us intentionally set out to turn our back on God and put ourselves in need of rescue, at least not at first. James explains the progression this way in chapter 1, verse 14. He said, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. James says that we're lured. James says that we are drawn by temptation. But the battle begins within us. It begins with our desire. Now, there are healthy desires for appropriate things. But what James is pointing out is that this is a desire for something that doesn't belong to us or that we shouldn't have. It's a desire to respond differently than we know we should. And when we don't put the brakes on that desire, when we don't take that thought captive and surrender it and make it obedient to Christ, it gives way to deception. We've all been there. Deception is when we begin to think to ourselves, one little lie won't hurt anything. It's just one little casual conversation. We're just friends on Facebook, old high school acquaintances. Maybe it's not relational at all. Ever thought to yourself, it's a billion-dollar credit card company or bank. They they shouldn't have loaned me the money to begin with. And self-deception turns into designing a plan, designing a plan to carry out our desire. And what's bad is that when we cross that line the first time, there's no bolt of lightning that comes down and just barely singes us. And usually, other people don't know about it. And worse yet, we find some level of pleasure in it. And so whether it's the first time to get drunk, to have inappropriate conduct with someone of the opposite sex, to steal a few hours from the job, tell a little white lie, any feeling of guilt soon dissipates and we find ourselves repeating the activity 
again and again. In verse 23, Jesus replied to the disciples, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. You see, when we turn on God, when we choose sin, the consequences are dire. Our destiny is total separation. You see, we're separated from God because God and unrepentant sin don't share the same heart. James calls it death. Verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, rabbi. And listen, Jesus answered, yes, Judas, it's you. You know, I've talked to countless individuals, many over the last couple of weeks as we've moved into this social distancing idea and have spent more time at home. So much of this has come to the surface. I've talked to many individuals who one day look in the mirror of their life and it strikes them for the first time just how far they've gone and how dire their situation is. This is the first, this is the first of several moments that Judas would have like this. And instead of acknowledging the truth, he continued his plan. And when that moment came, when he saw in the mirror and what he saw in the mirror was so appalling to him, he felt no other option than to take his own life. But it didn't have to be this way. You see, it's the final truth that we look at in this passage together this weekend. And that is the most important. God rescues. God rescues those who acknowledge their need for a Savior. Verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30 says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The bread that Jesus took that day, the bread that he took and broke was the bread that was made in haste. That night as the death angel was about to appear, God had instructed the people, make bread, but make it without yeast. Make it so that you don't have to wait for it to rise, but you make that bread and you take it with you for the journey. And so Jesus took this bread bread that was made in haste without yeast to remember God's dramatic rescue of the Israelites from Egypt that night. And then he took the juice. It was the third cup on the table. And that cup represented 
the promise of God, I will redeem you. I will rescue you. And in doing this, he's saying to them and to us, I'll do it again. I will rescue you over and over again. Only this time it will be my body, it will be my blood that I give in exchange for your life. I ask you again, what is your rescue story? Your spiritual rescue story. Some of you have been rescued over and over again physically only to bring you to this point that you would have this opportunity now to say to Jesus, I've gone too far. I need you to rescue my soul. Have you come to him? Will you come to him? Do you live your life today grateful for your rescue? I was reminded this week of a song. It's a very simple but wonderful old song. It says, come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. And he will save you, he will save you. He will save you now. I want you to listen. As Emily reminds us that there is no place that God isn't. Your situation, our situation is not hopeless to him. He hears our SOS. Will you, will you trust him to lead you through? As you respond, I want you to text me. I want you to direct message me right now and let's talk about your next steps. If I haven't heard your rescue story, I would love to hear it. Will you send it to me? Will you share it with me? If this is the day that you're going to take your first step towards him, then let's take that first step together as we watch God fill in the pages your rescue story.